Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. This is the show that brings leading minds and energy to the podcast booth to discuss the latest challenges and trends transforming and modernizing the utility industry of the future. And a quick thank you to West Monroe, our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. I'm Jason Price, Energy Central podcast host and director with West Monroe and on assignment in Jackson, Michigan at the impressive headquarters of Consumers Energy. And with me as always from Orlando, Florida is Energy Central producer and community manager, Matt Chester. Matt, we are privileged to be welcoming today's guest back to the podcast booth as he has been one of our early guests. Give us a rundown of that episode for those listening who may want to catch up with that earlier conversation. Absolutely, Jason. So today's guest, Garrick Rochelle, he joined us over a year and a half ago when he had just been selected to be the new CEO of Consumers Energy, major utility in Michigan. The title of that first episode with Garrick continues to ring true, rising to the moment, but creating a movement. In that episode, Garrick walked us through his mindset, taking over as CEO of such a prominent utility and his vision for where the power provider could go in the future. So now over 20 months later, it seems like a great time to check in and see how the role has been treating him. And I'm eager to hear uh, all the updates he has. As am I. To recap, Garrick sits on 11 boards, including the American Gas Association and the Edison Electric Institute, and is devoted to his home state, serving on Michigan's Economic Development Foundation, Business Leaders of Michigan, and various educational and philanthropic groups in the state. He received his bachelor's and master's in Michigan from MI Tech and Western University. So he certainly exemplifies the local boy done good for his beloved state and its people. With nearly 20 years at Consumers under his belt, Garrick was tapped to become CEO in 2021. He began as a site production manager in 2003 and worked his way up to executive VP of operations and now CEO of Consumers Energy, a Fortune 500 company. But now that Garrick has completed a few laps as CEO, we thought it was high time to check in and hear how his team at Consumers Energy is doing amid what has been a tumultuous year for utilities. Between new policies for clean energy, rising commodity prices, and reliability headlines which are top of mind for customers, it makes a lot of priorities to juggle. So let's hear how Garrick is handling it all. Garrick Rochow. Welcome back to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Jason and Matt, thanks for having me on the podcast. And more important, welcome to Jackson, Jason. It's great to have you here. Part of Team, you're going to be like part of Team Michigan now. We're just going to adopt you into Team Michigan here. The amazing utility, the amazing state we have here. Love it. Well, it's been a fantastic visit so far. So, Garrick, it's been almost two years since we last sat in these chairs. You had just taken over as CEO. COVID was still very much in front of us, and the energy transition in Michigan was well underway. How have things been for consumers and customers in your service area? First of all, tomorrow, December 1st, is exactly two years. My two-year anniversary is becoming CEO, so like a little celebration here. You know, Fantastic. Like... Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It has been amazing two years, and a lot of credit to our coworkers. When I talked about in the last podcast, the movement, the movement is really our coworkers that are doing amazing things. And we, this year really over the last two years, have delivered a clean energy plan. Uh, I'll also talk about it as an integrated resource plan, but this clean energy plan moves us out of coal by 2025. It's not just a commitment to net zero. It is the actual plan to get to net zero. 
one of the first utilities in the nation, first, one of the first utilities in the nation to be able to, to gradually exit coal, have a 60% carbon reduction by 2025. That's well ahead of the Paris Accord 1.5 degree scenario. Calls for eight gigawatts of renewables build out, energy efficiency and storage, natural gas from a reliability perspective, changes the face of Michigan. Great for the planet, great for our customers, great for our investors. And that's a big piece of what's what's taking place here over the last couple of years. Well, that's impressive. You know, nothing really prepares for the role of CEO, but clearly this role suits you well. And the road you took to get here was, you know, quite impressive. Compare and contrast for us the experiences of first stepping into the role and where you are today. Are there moments you wish you had handled things differently? Any surprises, good or bad? Any lessons to share? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> There's probably a laundry list, like vaccines. I mean, the COVID and the vaccine piece, that was a, a, a learning experience. You know, there are so many different points of view, political, emotional around vaccines, but the Biden administration put in place for government entities to require the vaccine. And we we looked at outside legal counsel, internal legal counsel and others, and, and we felt like we fit that requirement. And so we started that communication with our coworkers and then we were exempted. But we took our coworkers through kind of this, a lot of different variations. And I don't think I and the organization were as transparent as we needed. We talked of it more as a requirement and we got to go do this versus we need to just be more real with people, more genuine, more transparent. And so I've learned a lot and just particularly on these issues that are sensitive and there'll be all kinds of sensitive. This isn't a, this isn't a statement about the pandemic or about vaccines. This is how do we connect with our coworkers in a genuine and real transparent way, particularly on issues that are sensitive to let them know the why and let them know that we care for them and we're looking out for them. Garrick, in the lead up, I mentioned your commitment to the Michigan economy and the many boards you serve on. Michigan's two biggest industries are the auto industry and the national headquarters for major pizza brands. And as a New Yorker, I will admit your pizza is excellent. <laughs> so how is the state preparing for the auto transition from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles? And the same question for consumers energy. What is consumers doing to aid Michigan in this transition? I'm sure you've seen it. There's an awesome collision, or maybe it's not a collision, it's an intersection here. Domino's, which is the largest delivery firm of pizza, to your point, and General Motors, in this case, with their, their Bolt, their EVs, like they're going to deliver pizzas with electric vehicles. They ordered 855 Chevy Bolt EVs to go do that. And so those two industries are, I said, colliding. Maybe it's a, an important intersection, but that's absolutely what we're seeing across Michigan, what we're seeing across our industry. And like many energy companies, we have got residential programs for passenger vehicles. We have fleet programs that address for fleets, for school buses, for our large fleet organization. But what I think is really unique is we have a concierge service. We've mapped out that customer journey. Where are the highlights when you purchase an EV? Where are the lowlights? There's a definite experience that you go through. I went through it myself. Like when you first make the acquisition and make the purchase, you're like all excited. And then you got to figure out what do you got to do to the home? Mm -hmm. Like, does my electric box support this? Mm -hmm. What size charger do I need? And what we offer now is a concierge service to help you through that, to help you find a qualified electrician, to make sure you have what you need from a service perspective, from the electric side, the grid side, but also for your electric panel, making sure you have a charger, make sure you're on the right rate. It's really unique and 
we think it just makes that process that much simpler, a better customer experience as people make the transition from internal combustion to electric vehicle. Yeah, and you're doing this for residential and fleets. Yeah, uh, but the residential is the big focus right now, but the fleets are more of a working with their, their transportation people mm -hmm. to be able to make that, that business case. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, so let's stick with auto because this is the, you know, stay the, this is the home of the auto industry. The big three automakers are rolling out new EV models and have pledged to go all electric by 2035. And consumers and DTE and the other IOU in Michigan are racing to size up the grid and make necessary investments for the EV, EV transition. What letter grade would you give consumers on where you are compared to plan and what needs to get done in the next few years to position consumers for a path to hit the state's 2030 goals. So you want me to grade myself here? I don't even know if this is a fair, a fair <laughs> question. Come on, you put me in a hard spot here. And you should know I'm a hard grader too. <laughs> like, so I'd give us a B, I'd give us a B. And here's what I would say, you know, I just went through some of the good programs we have, but we've got an ambitious goal. We wanna put up a million EVs on the road in our service territory by 2030. That's our goal. And we wanna make that, like I said, an easy and simple process to make that transition, both from a fleet perspective and a passenger, residential passenger vehicle perspective. The Secretary of State's records right now show we're about 22,000. Now we've had 20% year over year growth, but that's off a low base. So we have to make, continue to look at where are the hiccups in that process to make that very simple for customers to make the choice. So when they're at, from the dealer to, or from the automaker, dealer, all the way through that. And there's still many, because it's so new, there's many opportunities to improve that process. We mentioned, and Matt had pointed out that you were on the podcast. It was about a year ago, March, 2021. It was, that was podcast number 34. And you had highlighted the importance of the work that Consumers Energy wanted to do to decarbonize. This is definitely on the top of mind for utilities across the country, but it sounds like you've accomplished more to decarbonize and at a faster rate than some of your peers. What's giving you the confidence in setting those aggressive targets and how are you staying accountable to them? And what has the reaction been like from your regulators and customers? We really frame it up as leading the clean energy transformation. There's a couple of key words in there because clean energy is used in across the industry, but leading is a key piece. And I don't need to explain that word, but the transformation. We really view this as a transformation of our industry and, and preparing it in that way. And so from a, a broader context perspective, this clean energy plan, like there's very few utilities, if any, that can say they've walked their way away from coal. And to the point of accountability, this isn't new for us. We ran 12 coal plants at one time. We're down to the last five, two more retired in 2023 and the remaining three in 2025. But the important piece of this is it's not just goodwill. It's not just good intent. We have an actionable plan. We're working that plan right now. And that plan saves our customers nearly $600 million. So our customers see a benefit from a financial perspective. Customers in communities in Michigan and the planet see a benefit from reduction of you know, CO2 and climate changing chemicals. And then our investors see a benefit, all additional investment in renewables. And so it delivers across what we call our triple bottom line. So it makes good business sense. It's not just good intent, but it makes good business sense. The other piece, I wanna talk about our coworkers. And what we know about our coworkers, they have a real passion when they see like a passion around the ability to deliver something that has a lasting impact. They do that with our customers each and every day, but this is an opportunity of a generation to be able to shape the footprint of how we generate electricity. Go back to that word transformation and our, our coworkers buy into that and our coworkers are passionate about it. So it's, it's motivating. So we don't need somebody to 
we don't we have a plan we're accountable to the to the commission i guess because we filed a an integrated resource plan but it's good business sense and our coworkers are passionate about it and that's what holds us accountable to delivering and really a remarkable plan let's stick with coal for a little bit more so you've made great progress in shutting down coal plants and cleaning up the grid but you and i know utilities cannot do this alone and you have a governor who's made clean energy a priority what are you doing in concert with state government to help accelerate this progress and what does it mean for consumers capital investment plans going forward the governor's been outstanding the governor whitmer and uh climate plan michigan's healthy climate plan that she has established over the over her first term it's outstanding and there's a couple of key pieces. One, to be out of coal by 2030. And as you can tell by our clean energy plan, we're well on the way. The other thing is 2 million EVs on the road across Michigan. And so our important part is the million that we're delivering across our service territory. There's other important work in energy efficiency and electrification that make up that plan. And so we're closely connected to that plan, not only from a governor's office, but from the Michigan Public Service Commission as well. So how are we working together? There's the Inflation Reduction Act. There's the Infrastructure Investment Act, IJA, and all of those are helping to move dollars into the state, both from a grid reliability perspective, from an EV perspective. And so we've got a long history of working with the state. One of them was a Volkswagen settlement and making sure that we're applying and building out that electric vehicle infrastructure, charging infrastructure across the state. So those are examples. But what I want to highlight, too, is that working closely with the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, they're the organizations responsible for locating jobs here in Michigan. And one of the things we've had great announcements here over the last quarter, Goshen, a large company is, it's a battery, they make cathodes and anodes for lithium batteries, part of the automotive sector, $2 billion investment, 2,400 jobs located here in Michigan. And we've been working closely with the state on that. Hemlock Semiconductor, one of the largest polysilicon manufacturers in the world located here in Michigan is expanding. They make a lot of the parts that go into chips, semiconductors, but also solar panels. And so we're creating the environment which supports this transition in Michigan as well. Nearly every company that looks at Michigan to locate here in the battery space, semiconductor space, and other, and other businesses is looking for clean energy, right? And our grid is greening with this clean energy plant. And then we have options for those customers for more renewable energy through our various programs. And so many of these companies want 100% renewable energy, and so we're doing that. And that's in combination with what we've built, what we're working on with Michigan Public Service Commission and the governor. It's an amazing place to invest. That's why we call it Team Michigan. I like that. All right, let's talk about addressing some of your critics. So Critics, uh, I have critics, come on. <laughs> All right, I mean, you know, the criticism is towards utilities, not just consumers, but consumers included. The critics say that the utilities remain a barrier to the competitive market when it comes to increasing distributed energy resource adoption which we all agree we need more of. So let's talk about that. Please share your thoughts around this. Yeah, we're, we're certainly supportive of renewables. We're certainly supportive of distributed energy and other resources. There's something that's unique though right now is that our utility customers are subsidizing that. So it's often to put solar on your home or to put it in your yard, it's three times the cost of utility solar. If a customer chooses to do that, that's fine. But right now, our utility customers, even our most vulnerable, are subsidizing on that customer to be able to make that choice. Now, often it's a, it's a difference of the wealthy versus those that are in low income. And when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, it's just not right. It's just not right that our lowest income customers would be subsidizing some of the wealthiest customers to make a choice to put things items on their home. And so for us, it is really about 
how do we as a utility ensure affordability and making sure that that's a utility that delivers for all our customers is particularly important in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion. Let's switch gears for a moment. Yeah. Let's go over to uh, gas. And I would like to talk about the, talk to you about the future of gas. So since consumers is both a gas and electric utility, share with us where you expect investments to be around gas assets. As far as I understand, gas has historically generated higher returns than electric. So how are you managing this potential trade-off and how are you communicating this to your shareholders? In other words, what does the future of gas look like at consumers? I don't see it as a trade-off. We anticipate our gas business and our gas system to be here through at least 2050, at least. It's an important resource. It's an important resource from an electric generation perspective. Without gas generation, we don't have a reliable grid, period. And so that's an important piece as we look forward to the future. Same with home heating. Home heating, natural gas provides, particularly in climates like Michigan, an affordable and low cost way to heat the home. And so we're gonna to continue to make investments across our gas system to ensure the safety of that, to replace materials and ensure we've got an asset there that delivers to our customers for a long time. But here's what's the differentiator for us. We believe it can be cleaner than it already is. So it's certainly cleaner than coal, but there's more things that we can do. And so often we talk about our natural gas business is not a safe, reliable, and affordable. That's how we always talked about it in the past. And now we say safe, reliable, affordable, and clean. Here's our commitments. By 2030, we're gonna be net zero methane. That means no natural gas is escaping from our system. We know that's 25 times more potent in the environment. Net zero by 2030. There's no other utility that's talking that way. The other goal that we set up this year is to be net zero across our carbon footprint, across the gas business by 2050, but by 2030, a 20% reduction in scope three emissions. So now we're even addressing customer emissions that might come from the hot water heater or the furnace. And we can do that. We can do that. We have hydrogen, we have renewable natural gas, we have energy efficiency, we have offsets. We have other technologies that allow us to do that. And so natural gas does not have to go the way of coal, and it won't go the way of coal if we are forward-thinking and progressive and plan for that. And that's really safe, reliable, affordable, clean and clean. That's how we're leading the clean energy transformation. Let's stay with gas. As we all know, gas prices are increasing and worldwide supply is uncertain. Recognizing, of course, that the U.S. is a net exporter of gas, but you know the pricing is based on market forces, not U.S. forces. Michigan has long, cold winters. Utility customers are frustrated. What are you doing for the customers in these tough times, both in terms of education and helping them reduce their energy bills? Again, first of all, I mean, if I step back and just look at the big picture here, we have customers that are, are suffering. And there's a lot of things going on. It's what they're paying at the grocery store, what they're paying at the gasoline pump. It's what maybe healthcare. And as you pointed out, with commodity costs increasing, particularly natural gas, they're seeing it on the, on the energy bill as well. And we have to do something about that. That's our responsibility. It's a care that we have for our coworkers. It's a care that extends to our customers. We have to do things to solve that for our customers. This is really important to us as a company. And so from a communications perspective, we're out there communicating to inform. That's an important first step not just to inform, but to give them tips on what they can do. There is a, you can make small changes in your thermostat and make a big difference in the bill. 80% of the natural gas bill is just consumption. So again, small change in the thermostat can make a big difference. Sealing the door can make a big difference. Our energy efficiency programs that we have that are existing today can be aimed at those most in need. And that's what we need to do. In addition to that, we gotta to continue to help those in need. 
working with local nonprofits, getting dollars in the hands of those that most need it. That is critically important during this time as well. In addition to that, we're gonna give away 30,000 Nest thermostats, and we're giving those away to those low-income customers, again, with the intent of helping them during this time with their energy use. And so it's really important that we help them through this time. Let's stay with your customers for a moment. You joined consumers nearly 20 years ago and customer expectations were far different than they are today. Consumers has good relationships with its customers and it's shown in your JD Power Scores. I wanna talk about customer experience. What are your plans and customer experience in the upcoming years and how do you expect to get there? We have an amazing team. We measure uh, through the customer experience index, which is a forester index. We can see it the customer experience real time. We can see it through our digital technologies, website and the like, social technologies. We can see it in our traditional contact centers. We can see it in our, our IDR technology. We can see that experience real time. And there's a whole room right here in Jackson on the first floor there that allows us to look at that and make changes. And so we can see if a customer's having a problem with a move in, move out, or customers as a whole, and then we correct that from a process perspective, or we correct that from a technology perspective. So we see it, we make that better, we make that process simple. So part of it is making process simple and easy for our customers. And the final step is making them enjoyable. So that's an important piece. The other important piece is, is affordability and making sure, and we talked about that with not only our low-income customers, but all customers. So we're focused on getting the cost out of the organization and making the bills affordable for our customers. We're focused on improving the electric reliability of the electric grid. Uh, there's a lot of room for improvement. We certainly see storms uh, and weather uh, patterns increase in intensity. And so we're making improvements in there, kind of the blocking and tackling of the business. And then we want to make sure that we have what we call products. We can offer products. When I say products for our customers, it's things like energy efficiency. We consider that a product. Our EV, the concierge program, we consider that a project. Renewables are a product. We want to make those accessible for our customers for the choices they make. And so that's another important piece of how we see our work now, but also in the future. When we did connect last, you know, last time in 2021, the energy landscape did look different. We were still in the thick of COVID pandemic, whereas today you're facing rising commodity prices and potential recession looming. How have these factors had to impact the way you approach your clean energy program? It's only further reinforced it, to be honest with you, just further reinforcement of our clean energy plan. Our clean energy plan as filed in our integrated resource plan saves our customers $600 million. It's good business sense. In addition to that, the Inflation Reduction Act offered a production tax credit for solar. That has the opportunity to save on a conservative side, $60 million per year for our customers. That, as we build out solar, that costs, those costs come down. So that's savings for our customers. In addition, solar and wind, the fuel is quote unquote free, right? In comparison with fuel that you have for natural gas. So it performs a nice hedge, a nice hedge. And so again, it's not exposed to the same commodity costs, increases or volatility you might see with natural gas. And so it's again, a hedge. And so the financial case only gets better for renewables, right? And so, yes, there's certainly a lot going on in the economic environment. It's only further reinforced the direction we're headed. All right, so we're talking about renewable, we're talking about clean energy. It's certainly, you know, perhaps uh, affordable and clean, but the third tripod, I guess, of that leg of, is reliability. And looking at, for example, California to Texas, severe weather events have challenged reliability and caused immense consternation in recent years. Michigan is unique in its own landscape. 
What are the ways in which you're dealing with reliability challenges and how can you overcome these? That bifurcate them a little bit. So I, I talk about reliability of the grid and reliability of supply. So let me start with supply. We've got good energy law in Michigan. We're required as a load serving entity to have supply and demand matches. And we do all kinds of loss load expectation studies to make sure that we can deliver the supply side of Michigan. And when we look forward, even with coal plant retirements, with the renewables build, with natural gas as a backup, we're long capacity. And so we feel good about the reliability on the supply side. The grid is where there's need for improvement. And we've seen particularly the intensity of storms increase as a result of climate change. In addition to that, Lake Michigan, particularly when it's warm in the summer months, intensifies storms as they come across the Midwest. And so our customers are seeing, you know, 70 mile an hour winds here in Michigan. And so that's different. These systems were designed for 45 mile hour winds. And so there's important investments that are being made across the electric grid that are already underway. We're also improving our response. We're also looking at more undergrounding, more fusing to make the system smaller. A lot of that's underway. It used to be, again, going back 20 years, we could restore about on a good day, on a good day, over 24 hours, we might restore 50 to 60,000 customers. We can restore over 100,000 customers in a 24-hour period, and we're continuing to look at how we advance that. And so our July storm, our August storm, we've seen great advancements in smaller outages, which is a sign of our investments, less customers impacted for the same uh, weather pattern, and faster restoration. Headed in the right direction, more work to do. Mm-hmm. All right. So... This is my last question before we get to the lightning round, which is the fun stuff, but bear with us for this final one. It sounds like you certainly have a game plan and you really thought through, you know, much of what's in front of you, but you know, as everything, nothing always goes according to plan. Um, do you have any notable hurdles in the crosshairs coming your way? Anything that uh, you're looking at your, at your peers and the utilities that uh, to try to mitigate some of the challenges that, you know, may be lurking around the corner? We feel really good about where we're at. And I really believe in mission clarity. If you get too many things up on the horizon, the organization gets gets distracted and you don't do anything really well. And so we're really clear about this mission of competitive rates that creates affordability. That's number one. Number two is reliable electric grid and preparing that for the, the future that really touches on resiliency. And the third is leading the clean energy transformation, which we've got a plan, we're executing on a plan. That's the steps that are really gonna make sure we're ready for the future today, but also as we move forward. Fantastic. All right. So we're now entering the, the lightning round. So for our audience and for everyone who may not be familiar with this, this is an opportunity where we get to learn more about Garrick Rochelle, the person rather than the professional. And we're going to throw you a handful of questions. Uh, you keep your response to either one word or phrase. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Who in your household tends to forget to shut the lights off? I have a 15-year-old son. You know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reach for the salty or sweet snacks? Sweet tooth. Sweet tooth. If there was a song that was played every time you walked into a boardroom or meeting, what would it be? Macklemore, glorious. You have a free dinner invite to one person, past or present. Who are you bringing to dinner? Abe Lincoln, what a time in history. What would you say to someone weighing a career in utilities versus elsewhere? Go for it. This is an amazing industry and it is, it's a transformation. That's an exciting place to be. Well done. You've perfectly navigated the lightning round. For doing so, we grant you the final word. What's the message you hope the utility audience listening in today takes away from this conversation? We've talked about a lot of stuff, and I'm excited about our future, but I want to tell you uh, what differentiates us from any other utility or energy company out there. It's our coworkers. Hands down, we all have poles. 
We all have bucket trucks. We all have offices. We all have gas lines. The one thing that's different is our people. And I'm really appreciative of every one of our coworkers in this organization. They do amazing things. They're committed to our purpose in delivering every day to our customers. I'm so thankful for every one of them. Terrific. Thanks again, Garrick. It's been great to catch up and get your perspective at the CEO desk. We love to keep this conversation going. So not only we will perhaps reach out again to chat on this podcast, perhaps a year from now, but we'll invite you to Energy Central community to leave their questions and comments in the site for this podcast. But for now, thanks so much for your insight. And we look forward to you and our community members for keeping these important conversations going at energycentral.com. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I love it. More time in Jackson is what I heard. <laughs> for sure. You can always reach Garrick through the Energy Central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. We also want to give a shout out of thanks to the podcast sponsors that made today's episode possible. Thanks to West Monroe. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility operations and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, advisory on transportation, electrification, ADMS deployments, data and analytics, and cybersecurity. And once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. So stay plugged in and fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. 